Hey guys, I am Caleb Giddings. And I am Keith Finch. And today on Gun Day Brunch, we are going to be talking about the president's most recent speech about gun violence, rogue gun dealers, uh, my favorite term that he used, merchants of death. And, I love uh, merchants of death. And the biggest question of them all, which is why is our is our president's talking points exactly the same as a 75 year old boomer fud on a gun forum because it really is identical it's it's, shockingly similar you could go to like deer hunting you know dot com and find these exact same points reiterated it's crazy but before we do that uh we're gonna run a little banner that will show you all of our sponsors but keith you want to tell them about our sponsor that doesn't have a banner yet our sponsor that doesn't have a banner yet is guns.com. We will get them a banner shortly. We are working on it. We will get them a banner or tell them that we can also do a sweet ad read for them and say guns.com, your place to get guns. That's a .com, you know, something like that. Something like that. Yeah, that'd be great. Uh, but no, for real, guns.com is actually in the business of selling guns. They do used guns, new guns. They have a little bit of content. So definitely head over there and check them out because they're paying for this. And you guys like things. They're paying for this so you don't have to. Because, you know, thanks. we don't want to put our stuff behind a paywall, right? No, thanks. I love no, free. I like free, too. So let's, so what was it, two, it was like a week and a half ago that the president had his, it was the, him and the attorney general had a speech on uh, gun violence and the rising crime in the United States, which obviously we all know is on uh, at historic levels for our lifetime. Um, if you're an elder millennial or even Gen X, crime has been on the decline pretty much your entire life right up until last year where it was like, pump the brakes, homie, watch me do murders. Um, Which even that's a bit of a misleading statistic because in most places crime is still on the decline, but major metropolitan areas saw a large uptick in crime for really the first time in my lifetime in 2020. And whether or not that was connected to people wanting to defend the police isn't a conversation I'm qualified to have. We'll, we'll save that one and maybe ask a few actual experts in that field. Yeah. But we, we got a spike through 2020, which everyone can agree was a really rough year. We get that. And any, anyone who was paying attention could say, you know, no, that it makes sense that a, a lot of bad things happened. People were under a lot of strain, a lot of stress, a corresponding increase in, in certain segments of violent crime, especially in areas that are, you know, at the ragged edge of resources to begin with, might not be the craziest thing in the world. Yeah. So what we're going to do, we're going to take a look at both the attorney generals, that one will be a little bit brief, and the president's speech on gun violence and which... I apologize in advance. I am you going to use the term gun violence? We all know that's kind of a silly misnomer. It would be like saying punch violence or knife violence or car violence. But it's a handy term to identify when people in specific positions are talking about crimes committed with firearms or crimes committed where firearms were present. So if I say gun violence, I'm sorry for using the bad guy words, but it, it's handy. Anyway, it, it's the it's the one they use. It's the one we're going to use. We know its method of injury, guys. We do. Mm. 
So anyway, let's talk about the attorney general speech first. And I, uh, we were talking before I hit record that it was a little bit buzzword heavy, but otherwise not turbo objectionable. No, you, you look into it, you start reading through it and it's the typical stuff of, Hey, we need to give local support to our uh, law enforcement agencies and our community stuff. And they're talking about cutting funds for it. The uh, the amount thrown out was a billion dollars. And looking at the community service programs and everything, all the stuff that the local programs are trying to do, it amounted to giving them funds. It mm-hmm. was buzzword heavy. Uh, where we got a little bit like, ooh, man, uh, is when he gets to the proposed rule on the proliferation of ghost guns, which is the frame re, uh, <laughs> redefining that we already covered in another episode. And then the rule to clarify pistols equipped with certain stabilizing braces. And we took that down and, and showed you that it's basically every stabilizing brace ever. There's right. almost no way to pass that at all. And it clarifies absolutely nothing makes things even murkier than possible. So one thing I do want to say uh, that I agreed with in both the president and the attorney general speeches is that community policing does work. And I find it tremendously ironic that the president who enjoyed a ground wave of support from the defund of the police people is in a national platform talking about giving more funds to the police and specifically again to a program that has proven to be effective. For people who don't understand what community policing is, it's essentially getting out of the car. It's putting officers in neighborhoods who look like the people who live in these neighborhoods where they can create rapport, where they can create common bonds with these people because the biggest problem that many men and the biggest thing that many, many cops will tell you is they go to a neighborhood, they know who the bad guys are in that neighborhood. They generally know what they're up to, but a lot of times they don't know where they are and no one in that neighborhood will talk to them. Community policing helps break down the walls that prevent people in those neighborhoods from talking to the cops so they can go get the guy who broke into the guy's house and beat up the old man with a hammer. So I'm all in favor of funding of more funding to community policing. Let's do that. There we've gotten the good part of this out yeah, of the, the way. Co- the community policing aspect is really good. Hey, hire locals to police your locals. Hire people from the town who know the town, who are part of the town and have a vested interest in there to do the thing that you want them to do and build up a safer community by being part of that community. All for funding that. Good idea. Yeah. Uh, but... There's the rest of the speech. So one of the things that they talked about was both the attorney general and the president uh, talked about this idea of cracking down on rogue gun dealers. And if you listened to the president's speech, it made it sound like there's this vast network of FFL holders who are just out there doing crimes, uh, who are out there selling guns illegally, bypassing background checks. They're like, you know, and like shoveling guns out. Lots, yep. Lots of twirly mustaches, lots of, lots of uh, evil. Neck tattoos. Yep. Neck tattoos, evil top hats. I mean, it's like an FFL holding monopoly guy just wandering around, handing out guns like candy and saying, no, you don't need a background check. When the reality is like, when's the last time, uh, I've worked for an FFL. I've, I've worked for uh, several FFLs and I have my own now, which is fun. Uh, but when I'm working with a buddy of mine, 
the phone will ring and every conversation that ends this way starts like, hey, do you have a cheap gun? And he goes, yes, we have a cheap gun. And he'll name one of the cheap gun brands. And then, oh, hey, you know, what's the process for buying it? And he'll start, well, you'll fill out the form and you'll do the background check. And then all of a sudden the phone's dead. Yeah. And you're like, oh, well, I guess that's not going to happen. I, I guess. And every, every FFL I know, every FFL you know, all this isn't a huge community and everyone's just cringing at that conversation because they have that conversation all the time. Someone trying to bypass the background check because they know they're not going to pass it. And I, wherever this secret cabal of background check negligent FFLs are, uh, they need to find that group and join that group, I guess, because. Well, and very, and, and to be clear too, yes, there are FFLs who knowingly and intentionally violate the law. And the, and the ATF should shut them down. And here's a little secret. And often do. They and and yet also sometimes they don't. They don't because the ATF, okay, like here's the thing. The ATF has a the the ATF has a real good idea who's breaking the law. All right. So how the trace process works, and for people who've never worked for an FFL, how the trace process works is so let's say there's a crime and a gun is recovered from this crime, and this gun still has a serial number on it. The ATF will go, this is a, who should I insult? This is a Brico Arms 25 ACP. <laughs> We're going to call Brico Arms and give them the serial number. And Brico is going to look in their book and they're going to tell us what distributor they sold it to. Then the ATF calls that distributor and the distributor says, oh, well, we sold it to Bob's Gun Shop. And so then the ATF is going to send an email. Usually it's an email with a trace request form to Bob's Gun Shop. And they're going to say, hey, we need to know who you guys sold this gun to. And they will say to Bob's gun shop and Bob's gun shop will say, oh, we sold it to, you know, Keith Finch in Michigan. And then the ATF will show up or not sometimes, sometimes they won't. The ATF will show up at your house and say, hey, where, where'd this gun come from? Homie? What, yeah, what, what happened to this? And then uh, a lot of times that's where the trace is going to end because after it enters private hands, it is unreliably yeah. uh, traceable from that point because there's there's no real person to person. Now, in Michigan, that wouldn't be the, the truth. So Fair. if Michigan's I a bad bought example. it, because, Mich because Michigan has a uh, constant pistol registry. So as long as it was a pistol that was used, um, it, they would come to me and say, hey, you know, or they might not even come to me. They may instead go to the state police and go, hey, is Keith Finch still the registered owner of this pistol? And they would go, no, Keith Finch sold it to Caleb Giddings. And they'll go, well, is Caleb Giddings any longer a resident of Michigan? And they may go, uh, no, he's he's no longer an active resident of Michigan. And that's where the trace report's probably going to die unless they know um, through a, a Canvas search or something like that, talking to local FFLs or something like that and asking, hey, did you sell this gun? And one of the FFLs goes, well, yeah, we sold this gun. It's like, all right, hold on. We'll get you an actual trace report um, so that we can start the process. And they go, yeah, well, we, so we sold this to friggin' Bob Smith uh, Jones last week. And Bob Smith Jones, you know, you, you can track him down. Here's his info and his next check and background and, and everything like that. So they can pull the reports and they can get information uh, but it it's all building it up for a bigger purpose. They're not necessarily there to get Bob Jones Smith, who may have straw purchased this gun or may have just sold it badly to someone else or may have sold it like 
without knowing he did it wrong. Or maybe he kept it in his unsecured vehicle and it got got smashed and and stolen because he had an XD sticker on the back of his car. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Don't put stickers on gun stickers in your car. You shouldn't shouldn't have gun stickers on your car. To that point, one of the big problems that, you know, we have is actually enforcing these laws. And the ATF often, again, knows what FFLs are engaging in borderline shady activity. And sometimes they will yank their licenses as, as they should if they are breaking the law or if they are egregiously flaunting regulatory um, uh, requirements. But other times they won't, and they won't because they are trying to figure out where those guns are going beyond the street level. So the ATF often doesn't care about um, some, you know, crackhead who is, so there's this thing called a gun mule. And the gun mule is used by criminal entities to to, uh, perform multiple straw purchases to get guns to then supply said criminal, criminal entities. The ATF doesn't really care about the gun mule, which is, as an aside, why the ATF rarely charges straw purchase as a primary crime. The ATF wants to get the guys who are organizing the gun mules. So when somebody goes into a gun shop in South Florida and buys five identical uh, Taurus PT-111s and passes a background check with flying colors, I should add, that got the gun shop dealer has no, I mean, the gun shop dealer has no quantitative way of knowing that that guy's going to commit a crime with those guns. You know, can he deny that sale because the dude looks shady and, you know, smells like weed and maybe he's throwing off some red flags? Absolutely. Business owners have the right to refuse people transactions. That's a different story entirely. But he has no quantitative measure if the dude passes a background check and fills out all the form and has a valid ID of knowing that a crime is going to be committed. So then the gun mule goes and he takes his five Tauruses that he bought at Bob's gun shop. Then he goes to Frank's gun shop in another county, buys another five Tauruses, et cetera, et cetera. ATF doesn't care about that guy. They want the guy that's paying the mule to go get all of these guns. And so that's why sometimes in these cases, they'll know that multiple straw purchases have been made or that shops aren't necessarily doing their due diligence because their bound book is all wonky versus what's in their actual store. And they won't shut them down because they're trying to solve a crime. Now, whether or not you feel, you know, however you feel about that, that's just the reality of the world we live in. And what I worry about, and I know Keith, you know, we talked about this as well, is I worry that an increased regulatory crackdown on rogue gun dealers, if you're listening to the audio version of this on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, leave us a five-star review. I'm making uh, air quotes with my hands around rogue gun dealers. What I worry about is increased crackdown on this idea of rogue gun dealers won't focus on criminal uh, enterprise, but will rather focus on uh, shutting people down over paperwork mistakes. And I mean, that's, no, and, and that's that's the critical thing that they're they're the words zero tolerance get used by the president in his speech. He was he was very strong on the zero tolerance, and zero tolerance means zero tolerance, which essentially empowers the ATF that if there is an error, they have full license to shut down that particular FFL. So, yeah, uh, they. I mean, they, they focus, he focuses in the speech on the, you know, they're, they're giving away guns without background checks or they aren't doing 4473s properly and they're still processing a sale anyway when they shouldn't be. 
And okay, those are crimes. Yeah, yeah those are those are crimes. Uh, you you can absolutely you don't need this additional uh, initiative to stop those people from committing those crimes and not only taking their license, which is what the president threatens to do, but putting them in prison for committing crimes. So here's, so don't do, so dear federal government, if people are doing crimes, stop them from doing the crimes. You don't need, and this is sort of the problem is uh, if you are uh, old enough to remember during the Clinton administration, there were a large number of what we refer to as kitchen table, uh, not gunsmiths, crap. Uh, table table, uh, FFLs, and they ran an FFL in what would be identifiable to millennials and Gen Z as a side hustle. They bought guns at dealer price so they could sell them to their friends at a slight markup, and it's legal. They did all of the paperwork. They kept their records. They kept their you know bound books and everything. They did the necessary background checks. But under the Clinton administration, there was a tremendous push from the Janet Reno led Department of Justice, and we all know how Janet Reno feels about gun owners, um, mm-hmm. from the Janet Reno-led Department of Justice to shut these kitchen table FFLs down because they painted them as this sort of rogue gun dealer network, the gun dealer They, in they were definitely fueling all the crime guns. It was the yeah. kitchen table FFLs that were getting away with all the bad things and all the guns that were the problem were escaping from the kitchen table FFLs. It clearly wasn't the legitimate gun stores. No. And which obviously that wasn't the case, but what a lot of these kitchen table FFLs were guilty of because they were running it as a side hustle was not being great at paperwork. Mm -hmm. And when you're not great. And so they use that lever and they cranked down really hard on it to shut a lot of these shops down. And you can look at the number of FFLs from before Clinton was elected to after Clinton was elected. And it was a dramatic drop in uh, federal firearms licensees. Now that number rebounded considerably uh, in the last, you know, intervening 20 years, but it is a tried and true strategy, and if the if you believe that the ultimate goal of gun control is to reduce access to firearms to anyone but the elite, then the best way to do that is to shut down gun shops. Start start pinching out any FFL with bad paperwork, and I mean any bad paperwork. And I mean, and that's the scary thing about that is I've worked at an FFL. You have an FFL. When we're not talking about like massive paperwork scripts here. We're talking about misspelling a customer's name. These are the kind of thing, you know, if their last name, you know, my last name is spelled with two D's in Giddings and you accidentally write one D, but that doesn't match up the photocopy of my driver's license you took, that's a paperwork violation. And it actually can be a paperwork violation if you have an investigator that's a big enough of a dick, but- your, Your audit, which happens- on average, every two or three years right now, they, they took a pause for COVID, but your audit will go in and look through all your paperwork and, and they'll, they'll score your paperwork. And if you have a hard auditor, they will look at everything that could possibly be wrong with your paperwork and go, um, wrong, 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 wrong. You, you get enough black marks on your paperwork. You will lose your license. They'll pull it or they'll suspend it or or they'll they'll put it on probation you can do you can lose this license for a number of reasons and it's it's the terror of every ffl out there who's running it as their primary business it's their primary source of income that 
they'll they'll make that one error and get that one auditor who shuts them down and their business is done. So what FFLs could do to protect themselves from this, and I mean, I hate to say this because it's a little bit of the, you have nothing to, afraid, to be afraid of if you're not doing anything wrong, but make sure your shit is tight, guys, all right? So my, I, I go to a shop in South Carolina and I haven't seen their, I, obviously I'm just a customer, I haven't seen their bound book, but I assume it's good. And the reason why I assume it's good is because their front end procedures are really good. They have two sets of eyeballs on every 4473. They've got one of those, like, they have a template that you can slide over the 4473. And if the template is filled in in all the right places, that means all the right boxes have been filled out. And then they have another set of eyes that goes over it. And it's like, okay, did he sign here? Did he sign here? You know, is his driver's license number correct? All of these other things. So like the easiest thing that you can do as a federal firearms licensee to not get blasted by the ATF is make sure your shit's tight and have backups of your shit. This was the other thing. I always had a backup to my bound book when I had an FFL. I had my bound book, like my official super mm-hmm. duper bound book. Then I had a backup to my bound book and I updated them and I reconciled them every week. And if they didn't reconcile and they didn't look right, and one of them had a gun in it that wasn't in the other one, I would go back and I would find that transaction and figure out, you know, what was going on here. So always have have backups and get and Get multiple verifying eyeballs on all of your paperwork. And the important paperwork is your bound book, which is your acquisition and distribution record, and your 4473s. Keep those tight. Uh, I have seen FFLs where, you know, their 4473s for the previous month are just in a stack. You know, they're not filed. Yeah, they're, they're, they're definitely flying by the seat of their pants. They're loose. It's, it's one old guy in the back running the gun shop, and he's just like... Yeah, I'll get I'll get round to it. Yeah, uh, they're probably over here, and that's the type of that's the type of FFL that the ATF will have a trace report from, and then they won't get a they won't get a reasonable response. One of the greatest ways to be like the the best friend of the ATF or the part of the ATF that you know you actually care about helping out the the criminal investigative arms that are looking for trafficking and stuff like that one of the greatest ways to get on that side and the auditor side is give them a quick response when you get that trace report so if Mm -hmm. you've got digital copies ready to go and you get that trace report back and says all right well you know what was the transaction and you hold and the 4473 goes over and it's got driver's license copies and and everything is squared away immediately ready to go they're like oh, this is squared away FFL, you know, there's no reason for us to spend our time looking at this guy unless a mountain of evidence comes out back that there's a problem with this guy. And a great way to do that, you know, so you're required by law as an FFL to keep your uh, 4473s off. You're required by to keep the physical copies of your 4473s for, what is it, two years? Uh, something like that. I think it's longer now. We might be up to 20 years. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So you have to keep them forever and then you have to mail them to the ATF when that time's over. So uh, one of the things that I recommend doing that's really easy to do because it's 2021 is when you finish that 4473, file your paper copy wherever, uh, get yourself a good, like a good, like a good computer, a, a friggin' and this was an idea that was uh, given to me by somebody else. So you get your, your, get yourself a 
data storage device, a computer. And that's all this thing does. It's air gapped. It's not connected to anything else. And you scan each 4473 and then you file it under customer last name, gun serial number. And the reason why you do, and then again, you store this in an air gapped system so that people can't go get customer information off of it. If you would like to know what air gapped is, it's a computer that's not connected to the internet. So in any way, no Wi-Fi, it's not plugged into anything, anything like that. And the reason why you can do that, this is you then have access to that database. So when the ATF says, hey, we're looking for this serial number, you can just go into your database, hit control F, type in the serial number. And you're like, here we go. We have the file. You move it onto a system that's not air gapped, send it to the ATF. Hominus Dominus, your trace request is done in five minutes and the ATF thinks you're cool and they're less likely to mess your junk up. The, the amount of times I've talked to the ATF, um, limited other, other than my personal IO, but when I start talking about the procedure I do, I feel them starting to weep on the inside because they know if they ever have to call me, it's like it's going to be a five-minute conversation and they're not going to have to fight, fight with me to get this information. And I just have to wonder how many times they call to some podunk old FFL at that that like they're on the phone, the guy can barely hear because he's 75 years old. Um, and they're like, hi, this is the ATF. The who? The ATF. Uh, what? Who do you want to talk like, to? Al? ATF. Yeah. And, and they, ju they just have that much trouble. Not to derail this, this podcast, guys, into just like good practices as a federal firearm licensee. But these are good practices as a federal firearms licensee in order to make sure that you, don't you have as few problems as possible. But getting hey, back on topic. We should do that as a future episode. So we're going to take a break from good practices as an FFL. Uh, and before we get into President Biden's speech, this is going to be my one uh, once per episode joke about David Chipman, because we're talking about punishing rogue gun dealers. Uh, who was the biggest rogue gun dealer of all time? Oh, that's right. It was the <laughs> ATF <laughs> during Operation Furious. Fast and Furious, which was spearheaded by who? The nominee for the director of the ATF. Anyway, call your senators, write your senators, tell them to oppose the nomination of David Waco Kid Chipman as, is it Waco or Waco? I'm from California. I, I believe it is Waco, but right, he yeah. is Waco, so... Hey, there we go. Tell me to oppose the nomination of David the Waco Kid Chipman to the head of the ATF. And now, moving on to Boomer Fuddlore, because that was... Lit, that should be the title of President that's Biden's speech here is Boomer Fudlor. That's going to be the title of this episode. It's going to be President Biden and Boomer and the tale of the Boomer Fudlor. Um, <laughs> so the and this is it's it's hard for me to express how bad this actually was because I so I actually watched it and there's clips of it out there and it looks like he's disassociating on stage, which to me is very concerning for a number of reasons, um, not the least of which, which being, I don't wanna get into a war because our president might not be in full possession of his mental faculties. That's super concerning. Uh, but let's just get into the, the FUD tropes. So I'll start first, which was, you don't need a 30, 40, 50, 60 round magazine in case you think the deer are wearing Kevlar. Oh. The oh, Kevlar gear. The Kevlar. First off, I don't <laughs> like, I mean, 
there's so much in this one. You don't need a high capacity magazine for hunting. Okay, well, the Second Amendment's not about hunting. Next. Uh, and, and every DNR regulation from every state's natural resource department usually limits those rounds anyway. It's speci it specifies every state I've hunted in and every state I've thought about hunting in already specifies round limits and round type and caliber type that you can hunt deer with. So the fact that is, oh, you don't need 30, 40, 50, or 100 rounds to hunt deer, look, that, that wasn't even an option on the table if you want to participate in the lawful harvesting of a game animal. That was Which, never on the table it, with the exception of varmint or destructive animals like coyotes or hogs. Those yeah. were the only ones where high cap is allowed and the, the places where these are pests are like, yeah, pose them. Well, in, in some places, uh, high capacity or standard capacity, whatever you want to call them, magazines aren't even allowed for uh, predators like coyotes yeah. and stuff like that. The only thing that you can use them on are what are, you know, pest animals, nuisance animals, or what's commonly referred to as non-regulated animals, which is wild hogs in like every state because yes. of those things. Um, but you know, it's just, it's, it's hard. We, to we say breed like rabbits. No, it's breed like yeah, hogs. Breed like hogs. Uh, it's hard to like, it's such a, it's such a fud trope. And then the whole like deer wearing Kevlar thing. Um, it, tactically speaking, having more rounds doesn't help you if the thing that you're shooting at is bulletproof, um, regardless of, you know, rifle rounds and their effect on pure Kevlar vests. But like, that yeah, we, we, can, like, we can tackle that one too. Kevlar don't stop rifle fire, guy. Right, right. pure Kevlar vests of five, five, six, just doop, right through it, anyways. But it does. It is funny to me that you know the uh, the AR fifteen and the uh, and the five, five, six round especially is commonly demonized as this super powerful destroyer of people, but it's also not legal to shoot a hundred and ten pound deer with in like thirty states. Yeah, a, a lot of states will not authorize it for medium game. It's varmint grade only. So it's animals in like the five to 60 pound range at the top end is is that's it. And I get I get that a lot of the DNR types uh, push that because they know guys are going to go get full metal jacket instead of a, a proper varmint yeah. round or a proper or, medium game round and do it. Or they're going to make a they, crappy hit or something. Yeah, like it's going to yeah. be a terrible hit and they're just not going to deal with that. So they're like, all right. Uh, we're going to allow you overkill calibers only because we want you to make an ethical kill. And we'd rather you do that with a 44 Magnum instead of a 223 55 grain FMJ. Right. And that is, and there's logic to that, that I can actually embrace and accept. I just, yeah. So our first uh, boomer fun joke from the president was Kevlar deer and guns are for hunting, which uh, they're not, and the deer aren't wearing Kevlar. I did uh, note and appreciate that he started his high capacity thing with uh, 30 rounds. So does that mean like 29 rounders are okay? Because I've got some GI mags that will not, under any circumstances, hold 30 rounds. You can push and push and push, and it's, it's not going in there. It's they're 29 rounds. And, and, and all the old battle rifles that take 20s were right. golden. Yep. And some of the new ones my all my 20 round pistol mags good to go sweet all right so guys good news the president said 20 rounders are okay 20s are cool guys uh, <laughs> i mean now this I'm... this one this one isn't a boomer trope but i just found it hilarious that at the beginning of the president's speech he refers to the attorney general as a, a general. general he goes, he general. goes 
Thank you, General, just General, not Mr. Attorney General. For those who don't know, that is the proper mode of address for the the sitting Attorney General is Mr. or Madam Attorney General. They're just Mr. or their or Madam, their last last name. name. They're a a civilian, they're a civilian position. But thank you, thank you, General. Like he was signing off with the Commandant of the Marine Corps or something. I I wish that he had said Mr. General. That would have been dope. (laughs) That would have been. That would, that would have been, been fantastic. That would have been pretty uh, hilarious, but he didn't. But he so did not. Uh, I will let you take the next uh, boomer fud trope from uh, President Biden. Which... Oh, the the next the next one. Um, this is back more into the boomer fud lore. Is is drastically strange statistics, and it's like the last time we had data on the issue of purchasing guns, five percent of gun dealers supplied ninety percent of the illegal guns, and it's like oh, that seems like a drastically low thing blaming a drastically high level of numbers. And if we know about these, why are they still in business? Guys, I know we already covered like some of the reasons that the ATF won't yank a license because they're doing another active criminal investigation. But if we got, if we literally have it so well nailed that we know 5% of gun dealers are selling 90% of the illegal firearms found at crime scenes, why aren't their licenses yanked? Are there perhaps mitigating circumstances that even though these 5% of gun dealers sold these items, perhaps they did in fact sell them legally. Perhaps they changed hands before ending up at a crime scene. Perhaps they were stolen. Perhaps they were straw purchased and you should be going after the gun mules and the organizers of the gun mules. Perhaps there's more mitigating circumstance that we should get into instead of just throwing Five percent of gun dealers under the bus very very vague number there and 90 percent of illegal guns sold and how do gun dealers sell illegal guns that's a yeah that's an interesting question in and of itself uh, and then do yeah how how do i i a legal gun dealer get my hands on an illegal gun to sell uh, I'm pretty sure if I take in anything that I can't transfer, I have one recourse, and that's to call the ATF call the and be ATF. like, hey, I got, I got this, and there's nothing yeah. I can do with it. Yeah. Somebody just um, dropped an NFA item on my porch. What do I do? And, and, yeah, what what do I do? I don't I don't have the the form four for it. I don't know if this was lawful. Like I can I can start that trace request on my end and be like, hey, is this a law? Is this, you know, something that I can take possession of? Uh, but the answer a lot of times for that, like, oh, hey, here's this new Sturmgewehr 44 uh, that somebody brought back from the war back in the day that never made it onto the NFA registry. And now it's in my hands and I have one recourse there. I am now in possession of an unregistered NFA item. That's a call to the ATF and be like, here you yeah. go, guys. Take Please. good care of it. Please yeah, don't no. it. Can you put it in the museum? They're going to chop it up, unfortunately. They are. They're going to they chop it into bits. Museum. It's, it's so sad. Um, so, which moves us on to the next fun bit of Foomer, Boomer Fud lore, which I did a meme about, which took The off, Foomer uh, Bud. Yes, the Foomer Bud. See, I, the president's not the only one who- He's not the only one. Like, guys, we're not we're not picking on the president because he word faux pas, because I do that literally all the oh, time. Oh, all the time. Why I write more than I'm on video. <laughs> no, but it is concerning, you know, that the president it, does over, sometimes- over and over again it is so consistent that i am really really scared for this man yeah it's a little yeah. bit concerning um so the next thing our next bit of uh of just pure fuddery that he said was my favorite which i'm going to read 
in entirety. Uh, the Second Amendment from the day it was passed limited the type of people who could own a gun and what type of weapon you could own. You couldn't buy a cannon. And I did a fun little meme <laughs> which you can see on my fan page at facebook.com slash Caleb Shooting, which had a response from the author of the Second Amendment, James Madison, where he replied, the fuck you couldn't because right. you, you could. <laughs> you, not, you, it, you couldn't just buy it. it, it you, here's a funny thing about the uh, time period around which the second amendment was framed was that not only could people buy or just make their own cannon it was common people would there, here's i'm going to throw a phrase out it's a historical phrase and the historical phrase is armed merchantmen and what that was was a ship that was owned by a private company that carried stuff and that stuff had value so what the uh, owner of that ship would do would be buy cannons and they would buy cannons and they would put them on their ship so they could protect the stuff on their ship from pirates because pirates would the pirates had cannons too so they needed to have cannons on the good guy on the merchantman boats so it wasn't just that you you, you could buy a cannon and the whole idea if you have done any sort of reading about the actual framework of the Second Amendment, the idea of the framework was to create a legal protection so that the average citizens, you, me, everybody else, could have access to the same sort of arms and ammunition that the militaries were carrying so that in the event it was needed, they would be on technological and firepower par with a military force. That was what the Second Amendment was written about. So the idea that you couldn't buy a cannon is patently false. The whole point was that you were supposed to be able to buy cannons. And in and, fact, and the, the idea extended beyond that. Not only were you supposed to be able to buy cannons, they were supposed to be common enough that it was in use. It was a usable thing that the government could come and say, time to form the militia at the time. And everyone had cannon already. Like they didn't yeah. have to be like, oh, by the way, here, here's this thing you don't know anything about. Instead, they could go to the merchant uh, men who owned, you know, eight ships, eight armed merchant ships and say, hey, we need your help. Here's a letter of Mark. Right. You're now, now part you're of a privateer. The, yeah. You're now part of the militia Navy of New Hampshire and we need you to go sink shipping. And they would be like, for money? And they'd be like, and yeah, be like, you get yes, to keep it. Money. Okay. So, in fact, uh, all the way up to the War of 1812, uh, private citizens who entered the army on a volunteer status who brought their own cannon with them were granted officers commissions and ran those cannons throughout the war as their own like private little gun crew. So it's not and that's what's frustrating about the statement from the president is it's not just misinformed. It's patently historically false and easy to prove that it's historically false with like two seconds of google and as a fun aside you can still buy a cannon today on the internet and you can have that shit delivered to your house because under federal firearms laws a muzzle loading cannon so basically any cannon up until about the 1870s uh is going to be a muzzle loading black powder cannon it can actually be a breech loading black powder cannon too but was starting to get into complicated artillery nerdery which if you guys want to hear a podcast about that, I can help you. But anyway, uh, <laughs> but, but not today's uh, episode. 
not today's episode. No, I don't know why I joined the Air Force if I love artillery so much. But anyway, um, it, you can buy a black powder cannon on the internet. You can buy trunnions. You can buy everything that you need to fire this black powder cannon, including black powder and cannonballs. And you can have it delivered to your house. And it's perfectly legal because it's not a firearm. It's not any, it's not a regulated item. Now, one slight caveat, if you make exploding cannonballs, that is illegal. You need an explosive license from the ATF to do that. Please don't make exploding cannonballs in your house. You will probably blow yourself and your neighbors up. But a cannon? No, no. It's happening. You can buy <laughs> but a yeah, cannon. But yeah, the cannon, you can get the cannon. Yeah, for sure you can get a cannon. And it's and you can get, as a matter of fact, here's something else that people don't know. You want to buy a Gatling gun, like a crank Gatling gun that like, like from the outlaw Josie Wales or the last samurai, which is period incorrect, by the way, for Gatling guns to be used in that phase of the movie. But anyway, sorry. Anyway, <laughs> you want to get a Gatling gun? That's you just fill out a 4473. It's horrendously expensive, but you do a background you, check. You can get it. It, it's, yeah, you, it's buying any other title one. <laughs> Yeah, it's just a gun. It's not a special gun. It's not a machine gun. It's a Gatling gun. Who's that company that makes that little nine mil Gatling gun that takes Glock mags? There's there's that? one, and there's one that does a twenty two too, and it's adorable. I want the it's nine mil fun. one. I want to set it up on like a pintle and like a little turret, just so you could like use it like a little a little cruiser <laughs> of nine mil. Oh, how dumb is that? But anyway, so the president said Fantastic. you couldn't buy a cannon, and that's just wrong because because you could. And you still you can. could, and you can. Not yeah. only could you, can you? And then he, and then Everybody his should go by cannons. Yeah, cannon sales going through the roof now. Dixie Gunworks, which is a company that sells cannons, by the way, is like, why are we getting so much search traffic for cannons? What's going on? Because <laughs> you know that the guy, the web manager for Dixie Gunworks, is sixty-three years old, and he's like, oh, they gotta put it on the computer site. Okay. You can't. Why, why do cannon inventory sell out in a day? Uh, 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 and then the, the first part of his statement there, like not anybody could buy, just go and buy a gun. It's like, well, really, that that's accurate in the sense that they wanted it to be citizens of the United States buying order guns, just like citizens of the United States owning property and, and, and whatnot like that. But they didn't have this big bureau of enforcers going around like, did you fill out your 4473? Was it in black quill? Not blue quill. It had to be <laughs> not blue quill ink. Gotta be black be a, quill ink. Was it a goose it, down it a feather, not a quill? duck feather? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, there was one group of people that couldn't buy guns. Mm-hmm. I, the, do we want to talk about the racist fruits of gun control? Or should we save that for a different episode? Let's because- save that one for a different one because, <laughs> oh man, that one's fun to get into. That's, like- a, that's a really long one to get into. Oh my goodness gracious. So we'll skip over that, but I guess he's technically correct. Yes, some people couldn't buy yeah, guns. Some people couldn't. They also weren't free. Yeah. Hmm. They so were, anyway. They were, they were property at the time, which is a whole nother discussion. Really bad discussion. Really rough. Uh, but so- yeah, that was a thing. And then I think the last, you know, Fuddy McFudderton piece was where he said that if you want to, you know, uh, where was it? Da, 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 da. Oh, yeah. If you want to have weapons to take on the government, you need F-15s and some nuclear weapons, which is my favorite. And I've literally had people <laughs> say this to me 
in online conversations where, oh, you think your AR-15 is going to be good against the government. They have F-15s and nukes. And there's so many lanes that you can go down this. And I'll take the most obvious one. Um, I think that guys who don't have F-15s and nukes have done pretty well. Like, as much as I hate to say this, yes, we have kicked the hell out of insurgent fighters for the last 20 years. They have also gotten a lot of blood on their teeth, too. Like mm-hmm. they have not they, just they got their own for what yeah. they got. We we are fighting the most dirt poor of dirt poor fighters in the, the, the it couldn't be more mis, mismatched in the global war on terror, and they still got theirs back. Yeah. And that is so to say that you need F-15s and nuclear weapons to take on the government isn't really true because that implies that, I mean, we have examples of that. We are using F-15s and the most advanced technology to take on, you know, barely literate cave dwellers. And these barely literate cave dwellers have, I mean, if you want to use a less raw example, because obviously, you know, we have, I've lost friends to the global war on terror. You have to, many, many of our listeners have. If you want to use a less emotionally raw example, Vietnam. You know, a, yes, Vietnam had a, the war in Vietnam is very misunderstood. There was a large regular military force fighting another one, but the irregular forces of North, the North Vietnamese army in the Vietnam war did a really good job against B-52s and F-4 Phantoms and all of the military might of the United States. So purely from a strategic perspective, it's not actually true. Your M4 carbine, your AR-15, your personally owned AK-47 is a very potent weapon against a totalitarian, oppressive, or invading government when used correctly. And that's literally what the Second Amendment is for. That's that's the Minuteman militia concept is if in in, in the event that the mainland United States was invaded today, it would be it. And you, you see it, you see it in Afghanistan right now. It's the same. It's the thing that's happening. Bye, Caleb. You'll be back. I'm listening. Keep going. Yep. It's, it's, uh, it's happening in Afghanistan right now where the citizens of Afghanistan, because if you guys don't know, if you're following it in, in, yes, (laughs) yes. But in, in the event of an invasion of the mainland United States, at, at such a drastic level that the military was overtaxed, just completely overtaxed, which a mainland invasion would be. It would be, because if they got that far, holy shit. Right. However, everything overseas is gone. Um, I'm yep. dead. Yep. I'm, I'm probably dead too. There are a lot, friends are like, dead. A lot of our friends, a lot of our friends are dead. So some of them are chilling and be like, whoops, yeah. but yeah. So yeah, the whole idea that you can't use an AR-15 against uh, a government agency is, uh, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. And again, it, the actual point of the second amendment is to provide the citizens with the same tier of weapons that you would see from a government agency. Hence why we should, you know, own M4s and AK-47 style weapons. And then the other thing that he said which I, I didn't think of this at the time, but I saw a lot of people talk about it on social media, but it was the, the government saying, or the president saying that the government could wipe, that you don't need an AR-15 because they could wipe you out with nuclear bombs and F-15s is the best reason I can think of to own an AR-15. It, it really is like, well, excuse me. 
And the, one of the funniest things out of that too was these are the same people that were convinced an insurrection was happening on January 6th. Like, don't get me wrong, the riot on January 6th was a spicy time, but nobody there brought an AR-15 to the Capitol building. As yeah. far as I know, I've seen zero evidence that an AR-15 made it into the Capitol building and was presented in any way, shape, or form. There may have been some around. There, there may have been some in, in D.C., but nothing in the actual Capitol building incursion where friggin' uh, dude running around in a Cape Buffalo hat and, and all the other insanity that went on on January 6th. Um, those are the same people that are, were like convinced that was an insurrection and all the senators were at extreme risk of, of being, you know, hung and, and killed and everything like that. Like, don't get me wrong. That was, that was a spicy day and there was a riot in the Capitol, but it wasn't, you know, the storming of Normandy beach, but at the Capitol building, it wasn't the, it wasn't the burning of the white house round two uh, as the Canadians came down to try it again. Right. Which that's a, that's always a fun story. Like when you remember that the Canadians <laughs> burned down the White House, that's a dick move, guys. The <laughs> rudest thing you've ever done. Um, but yep. and to that point, yeah, the uh, when the president of the United States says you don't need a gun because our military can destroy you, that legit makes me want a gun. That's like yeah, way like that's your saber your saber rattling at me does nothing to convince me I don't need the thing you want to take away. Yeah. And I, you know, again, and I say this as, you know, uh, as, as someone who is in the military reserve, it, I don't like the idea. Obviously I hate the idea of the military being used on our own citizens. We have a whole grip of laws making that illegal as well. So that suggestion is sort of, not sort of, that suggestion that you don't need a gun because the military could destroy you for a number of reasons is ethically repulsive to me as a military member. But it's also, you know, again, like if it, it's also terrifyingly indicative that that thought crosses uh, the speechwriter's mind. And and I, I don't know with what I can't speak to what level of seriousness and you, you you'll you'll get into every level of seriousness being told as the absolute level of seriousness um, that it was spoken with. You'll have people who are absolutely convinced that whoever's in power right now is one step away from abusing it um, and going full totalitarian. And then you'll have the other end of the spectrum, which is like, uh, nah, my, my team, good team, your team, bad team. Um, but you, you get into that. And, but when you have the president of the United States suggesting that the reason you don't need an AR-15 is the is the fact that they will throw out all the laws of, of military force being used against the, the nuclear weapons on the us. states and just unleashing nuclear wrath and conventional munitions in highly destructive munitions upon the United States citizenry because of clearly a, a bad situation where uh, the citizenry and the government aren't getting along for some reason. Right. Well, and like, I, you know, obviously the idea there is a, there is in the gun owning community, a, it, it started as a joke, the whole, you know, electric boogaloo civil war round two, and it did gain a lot of malevolence and a lot of bad actors were attracted to that idea, just like any sort of. It, it felt, it fell to the law of, we can't have nice things. 
Yeah, exactly. What started out as a funny joke and internet memes and dudes wearing, you know, Hawaiian shirts turned into something gross and ugly, as happens a lot of the time. But that doesn't represent the vast, the vast, vast, vast majority of gun owners don't want their, believe me, especially the ones, the, the, those of us that have, you know, been in the military, we don't want there to be any sort of civil war or anything like that. I remember look, watching, we've, we've you know, seen civil wars. We've seen the results of civil wars. There's nothing fun about that. Yeah, no, I don't want to be shitting in a shell crater behind a 7-Eleven because there's no power to my neighborhood. All right. Like that's not, that's not what I want. And it's not what any rational person wants. And what I didn't like about the president trotting out the F-15s and nukes ideology is that actually feeds into the, you know, the half of a half of a percent of gun owners that are attracted to this idea who think that the idea of some sort of you know, civil war-like conflict or low-grade violent conflict in this country is cool or interesting. It feeds back into this because I don't actually, so full disclosure, I don't particularly like the president, but I also don't particularly dislike the president. You know, it's not he's, like- he's a, the president. You're right. He's it's not like it's a Hillary Clinton situation where I genuinely thought Hillary Clinton was, you know, like cracked babies' heads open and drank their stem cells. You know, I, I'm pretty sure Hillary Clinton- was slash is the devil she's also not an elected official so i can say that um, but i i don't particularly <laughs> like or dislike president biden i don't agree with many most of his policies but i don't think he's like a malevolent entity or a bad person or anything i, like I just think he needs to be in a retirement home that's my I'm, biggest my biggest feel since he took my my biggest feeling since he took office is this man needs to be done with his career. They are run, They are going to run him to, I mean, we, we saw what happened to Barack Obama when, under his eight years of presidency. He aged like 30 years in eight. And Joe Biden didn't have that kind of time on his clock. He's got 30 years left on his clock. Now, I will say this. I do not want Joe Biden in a retirement home. I want him is in control and in possession of his faculties as possible because Joe Biden in a retirement home gives us President Kamala Harris. And as neutral as I feel about President Biden as a person, I have a great professional distaste for uh, VP Harris because while, while I have you know disagreed and agreed with the president's policies over his career uh, in government, I feel very strongly about 99% of uh, the vice president's policies and her actions as a California senator, as the attorney general of California. Like, I don't, I don't like where she's at and I don't like what she's done in the past. And I'm far more scared of a president Harris administration than I am of a president Biden administration. So like, President President Biden, just like hold on to those brain cells. I I, 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 years, I hope you got it, man. I, I yeah. want I want you to get better at this. I really yeah. want you to get better at this. Yeah, because yeah, the concept of President Harris is actually genuinely terrifying to me. But so to kind of put a bow on all of this, uh, the president's speech was all fud lore. Um, the ATF should go after people who are actually breaking the law, and community policing is great. It really is that simple, guys. Really is that simple. 
All right, guys. Well, that is it for this week. We will be back next week with another episode of Gun Day Brunch. Make sure that you like, share, and subscribe to this if you're watching on YouTube. If you're listening on iTunes or Spotify, go ahead and leave us another one of those sick five-star reviews. They, we appreciate them. They help boost the show up. I'm Caleb. Thanks for listening.